Welcome to the Teaching Self-Government Podcast with Nicolene Peck. Improving your life, uniting your family, changing the world. Welcome to the Teaching Self-Government Podcast. I'm Nicolene Peck and I'm joined here with my daughter, Paige Baumert. Hi, Paige. Hello. How are you doing? Great. Wonderful. Well, I know that you and Clara are very excited to be chiming in today on (laughs) podcast 100. Yes, we are. We have done 100 podcasts. I actually can't even believe that that many have happened already. Just doing one a week. We've got just a couple, a couple of years that we've been going at our podcast here. And there's so much great content on these podcasts, but today we are going to be talking about something that we haven't touched on before. In fact, it's going a little bit deeper into the type of parenting and how that type of parenting that you have actually is going to create certain outcomes in your children. So we're going to be talking about increasing higher functioning and higher learning function in children. This is important. I know there's many parents who worry about their children being able to problem solve properly, being able to think through things and do well in school and just be able to handle some of the social things that they're encountering. We're going to touch on all of that today, but before we do, as is tradition here on the Teaching Self-Government Podcast, we are going to talk about a fun family activity that you can do with your family this week. Paige, what kind of an idea do you have for us? So I know last time we talked about a scavenger hunt, we're going to go kind of on that same theme, but this one is a bigger, better scavenger hunt. So, and you know, this is a great like group date activity or, um, it's, it's, it's usually good with at least, you know, two couples or four people or something like that. But basically everyone starts out with something small. So say it's like a pink eraser or a marble or something like that, but something small. And they have to go around and knock on doors and say, Hey, we're doing a scavenger hunt. And, um, we're wondering, do you have anything bigger or better than this that we could trade you for? And so you have a time limit, you know, maybe it's an hour or two hours. And by the end of that time, um, you have to come back and everyone decides who got the biggest or the best. So it's really fun. So fun. So fun. It's just such a neat thing. Sometimes you ask for bigger, better, you don't get something bigger, better, or you're like, Ooh, I really didn't want the bigger. Now I have to carry that around. And I would really (laughs) have rather had the better, you know, but people love trying to find something to switch it for something they don't care about getting rid of, but they're like, they want to play the game with you. Mm -hmm. It's a great community game to play in your neighborhood and stuff like that. Maybe with groups of people like youth from your church or something like that. It's a really fun thing to do. All right. So let's talk about increasing higher learning function in children. And we're going to do that through the lens of self-government. So Paige, remind everybody, I know we've been doing this a hundred times, but remind everybody what is self-government and why is it so important? Self-government, the way we define it, is being able to determine the cause and effect of any given situation and possessing a knowledge of your own behaviors so that you can control them. Yes. And why is it important to you and to people? Like what kind of power is behind that skill? Oh my goodness. So much power. I 
In fact, I see this all the time. Uh, people who are my same age, they have a hard time talking to superiors or being able to communicate properly with you know, people they're dating or even their spouses. Um, and they are clueless, you know, when it comes to raising children. I was just talking to a cashier yesterday at my local grocery store and she was asking how old Clara was. Cause of course she was with me and, um, I'm like, oh, she's about five months. And she's like, oh, I wish I could have another baby just cause they're so cute. My, my child right now is in that phase where it's, you know, they're just a terror and, you know, I have no idea what to do with them. And I'm like, oh, I could say something, but, <laughs> and I, I just felt so bad for her. Cause I'm like, there's things you can do. Like, yes, you know, little children are a little wild and rambunctious, but there are things that you can do. You just have to know where to look. Mm-hmm. And so, I don't know. I just kind of left thinking, well, you know, hopefully one day the time will be right to, you know, have someone share something with her, um, and, you know, help enlighten her. Yeah. Sometimes it feels like the right time. Sometimes it doesn't. And you kind of go, I don't think, I don't think I should say anything right now. And just, just, you know, be understanding, you know, or whatever. But I will say that what I'm hearing from that story for you is confidence that when a person has self-government, when you are able to understand how you can govern yourself and the principles of self-government that affect other people as well, that in the end you get increased confidence, which is fantastic. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love that. I absolutely love that. So Paige, you've been taking a psychology class. And Paige has been sharing some things with me from her psychology class. And I think it would be a lot of fun for us to read. So there was a remark in one of the psychology books by a mother named Rena. And Paige, I don't know if you'd like to share with us maybe Rena's comment, or I could share it even because I've got it right here. So this is what this is what Rena was saying about some of her struggles with her children. And she was wondering what to do. So it says, I've struggled with how many chores to assign, how much allowance to give, whether their friends are good influences and what to do about problems at school. And then there's the challenge of keeping track of them when they're out or even when they're home and I'm not there to see what's going on. So she's wondering, okay, well, as my child's gaining independence, how do I handle all of these kinds of things? Well, this particular psychology book says, despite these new concerns, child rearing becomes easier for parents who establish an authoritative style of parenting during the early years. Reasoning is more effective with school-aged children because of their greater capacity for logical thinking and their increased respect for parents' expert knowledge. So in order to dissect what they're saying here, they're saying, you know, Rena's saying, I don't know what to do. I'm trying to give them independence, but there's all this stuff I don't know how to handle. And they're saying, you know what, maybe Rena needs to focus on becoming an authoritarian or not authoritarian. That's the wrong kind. Authoritative. authoritative. Those words are so close together. They're so easy to say. Yeah, that's why we describe them different in teaching self-government language. (laughs) We do. And I actually think we do a better job of saying the bully fear-based, that's your authoritarian. And then the traditional strict or your assertive type parent, that's going to be your authoritative parent. Anyway, um, but we need to understand that they are saying here that traditional strict or authoritative parenting actually 
is a benefit to children and they, they have a better chance of figuring out all these things that this Rena is worried about for her children. So Paige, how about you give us a little bit more insight on authoritative parenting? Yeah. So like you said, and Claire is probably going to make some comments of her own as well, just a heads up. Yes. <laughs> but um, authoritative is again, you know, what we call traditional strict. And that is where parents are warm and loving and attentive and involved, but they're not demanding. And um, I don't know, I guess you could say corporal punishment is not part of their parenting style, but they set boundaries and they're very involved and, um, they're willing to help analyze everything with their children. Mm, That's a really great way to describe authoritative parenting. And I think a word that I would just add to that description is principled, because Mm -hmm. if you're involved, you're connected, you're teaching, but you're also strict. You're also, you know, living according to principle, Um, then you are a very principled person and really authoritative people try to live according, according to truth, not just coercion, you know, which can very easily happen as people are trying to parent, they can just fall into the trap of manipulation and coercion and the authoritative parent would not be falling into those types of traps. So let's look at this quote here. And it says that if parents establish an authoritative style of parenting during the early years, then child rearing becomes easier. So let's talk about that. So um, I actually really loved this quote. Um, These are all coming from one of my psychology textbooks. Um, And it's because once you can, if you can establish something when your children are really little, then it's already just preset for them. And that's how it was with me growing up. You know, I never knew anything different than an authoritative parenting style or the traditional strict style that you and dad had. And so it, it made it really easy just to have that set in place instead of having to adapt and to change and to, um, like change mind and heart later on in life when maybe it was a bit harder. Mm, Totally. Well, and I will say that it's really confusing for children when the game changes, right? And, and we don't want to call parenting a game, but, but there's strategy that's associated with it kind of like a game. And so this is why children try to play games and work systems and stuff like that. And when the game changes, they're like, wait, now what do I do with this? And then they try to manipulate. It's inconsistent. Exactly. But if you have this consistent principled style of parenting going all the way along, then those children have the benefit of not having to manipulate and play games and try to work a system. They just get the straightforward truth and facts about things that are going to be important to them. So this is a really big deal for helping them, but also, you know, your children are going to develop more skills. They're going to develop more ability to think through problems if you are authoritative, because you aren't just going to be making them do something that's authoritarian. When you're authoritarian, you're forcing somebody to comply. It doesn't matter what they think about comply, but in authoritative parenting, it does matter what a person thinks about it. In fact, that's a big thing. We want to make sure that everybody's thinking is being developed properly and going in the right direction, you know? Exactly. So this is huge. So reasoning 
is a big part of this. Okay. Logical development, logical thinking. So the prefrontal cortex of the brain is really tiny when a child is small and then it grows over time, but it's not fully developed until a person is oftentimes in their mid twenties. I mean, they could be 23, 24 before their brain fully develops. And so this is, you know, a big thing to consider as we're teaching children that we have to keep training that reasoning, helping them expand that reasoning, that logical ability. Now, because a lot of children developmentally don't have a lot of the logical wherewithal to sort through everything on their own, you know what a lot of parents do that is really a mistake is they don't bring in reason and logic. They just bring in force, manipulation, coercion. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, and that's, that's true. A lot of people because they haven't been taught skills, right? All they know is emotions as well. And so they're like, okay, this is how I'm feeling. This is how, you know, I have to take care of this negative emotion. So here we go. Blech. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, is they're, they're assuming that, well, that speaks the child's language, the child's emotional. So let's speak emotional to the child. And yeah, that might control him for a bit. That might intimidate him about one thing, but that child is not going to be developing properly. They're not going to be learning how to problem solve their skills. They're going to struggle socially. They're going to struggle academically because the parents are just forcing everything down on the child. So if the child is only making emotional decisions, whether it's by their choice or by your choice, they are not getting the best development possible. Now, here's another cool thing. So when you're authoritative, it actually improves your relationship and attachment to your child as the parental authority, because it says in this quote that appealing to that reasoning and that logical thinking actually increases the respect for the parent's expert knowledge. So I think is so true because when you're calm and you're able to just communicate effectively and with warmth and care, but also, you know, with boundaries and with authority, then, I mean, in the moment your child might be like, Ugh, this is, you know, this is stupid. I don't like this, but later on, um, cause I know this is true for me. You have immense respect for your parents because of how much self-government that they had and they're willing to stay calm with you while they communicate it instead of playing into their emotions. Well, yeah. And just talking to you, I mean, Paige, think of all the talks that we had, you know, you really started developing as a woman, starting when you were about 11 years old and we started going to chorus and singing together every week. And we would discuss what we saw there. we would discuss the behavior of all of these other grown women in the chorus. And I would explain, well, people say that because of this context, or some people say this and you see how they, they participate with each other, but do you see really that person is actually, you know, being negative, they're spreading negativity and that's not a good behavior because look what it did to the feeling of the group. And we were able to talk about that. And you were like, oh, you know, I mean, it just got you maturing so quickly because that training logically and your reason was appealed to. Yeah. And it really helped me to start analyzing my own behaviors, other people's behaviors. Like, of course I was 11. I still, you know, made mistakes and there were things that I said that I probably shouldn't have. But, um, I think the fact that, you know, cause we were in that chorus for about four years. And during that time, the, the ladies, I think they really noticed, Oh, you know, she's not like other 11 year olds. Oh, they um, totally noticed that. <laughs> I, I had so many comments like that. They were like, 
She is so mature. She is so, she is very different. Nicolene, you are doing a good job. That's what they would tell me. And Clara sneezes. Bless you, Clara. (laughs) So, but it was, it was really interesting because, um, I even noticed, you know, at that young age that as we continue to participate in this group, that those parents respected you even more for how they saw you were raising me and Mm -hmm. how they saw, um, me being able to analyze things and, um, for the maturity level that I did have. Oh yeah, for sure. hundred percent. Okay. So we're going to read another quote here out of pages psychology text, which is super exciting here. And it's, uh, this is what it says. It says, uh, but too many U.S. teachers, especially those in schools with many students from low-income families, emphasize repetitive drill over higher level thinking, such as grappling with ideas and applying knowledge to new situations. Hmm. This focus on low level skills becomes increasingly pronounced over the school year as state mandated achievement testing draws nearer. Hmm. So this is a little bit of a a thing out of the psychology book about what happens at schools, but we definitely can relate this to our homes as well. And, and just so you know, it is true that they learn more skills at the beginning of a school year than at the end of a school year. Which makes sense because if you're not actively trying to implement it into everyday life and practicing it, and you're just trying to cram random knowledge into your brain, then of course you're going to learn less and less because you're not actually engaged in it. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah. Plus it's just like, we just focus on repeating the same process again and again, we're at the beginning of the year, we have to learn, this is our process and this is why, and Mm -hmm. this is, and so all of a sudden we're, we're dissecting all of it and understanding our process, but by the end, we're just doing the process you know, and that's it. And we haven't learned anything else after that. So the thing, the same thing can happen at home. You know, many people thrive when they feel like, okay, the laundry's done and and for good reason. Okay. The laundry's done. The food (laughs) is made. The kitchen's clean. We got to the places. Everyone got dressed and showered and all the things we like efficiency. You know, people crave Mm -hmm. efficiency and oftentimes you have to create some routines in order to create an environment where efficiency is happening. All right. However, there is a problem with focusing on just the efficiency because then you lose effectiveness. And I've said this for years, don't trade out efficiency. I mean, don't, don't give up effectiveness for efficiency because, um, that's a bad trade effectiveness. I I tell parents that I tell parents that all the time. I'm like, you know, it's going to take a little more time to teach these skills and to, you know, help your children understand them. And so you might have to give up that strict school schedule that you have, you know, and you might have to say, well, this is more important to correct this negative behavior. Um, and so I tell them, I'm like, you, you got to let go of that sometimes, especially here at the very beginning. And they're mm-hmm. like, really? I'm like, yeah, because, you know, it's children's behaviors don't always fit within that strict schedule. Right. And if you're more worried about your schedule, then you're going to end up reacting emotionally to your children's behaviors. And, uh, things won't actually happen how you want them to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And so we do have to make sure that we keep our priorities straight, right? Cause mm-hmm. priorities help us stay in the effective zone. So as parents, we have to keep in mind that 
the higher level thinking is more important than the drill. And this is coming from the lady who says the number one most important skill to teach your children is how to follow instructions. Okay. So it seems like that might not make sense. Okay. And there's a process for it. There's five steps. You look at the person, you keep a calm face, voice, and body. You say, okay, or ask to disagree appropriately. You do the task immediately and then you check back. Okay. So there's procedure in the parenting. This stops us from getting into emotional manipulation, which is super important for our authoritative style. But hopefully we are also making sure that we are explaining the why and that we are understanding them and that we're having more discussion so that they know, okay, well, let's see, let's look at the situation right now. Is it worth, you know, disagreeing appropriately about this and having a conversation? Or is this one of those that just needs to happen and it's not really worth it? So am I going to go for just the, the drill of stuff on this one, or do we need to have more discussion? So there are things that we do in the teaching self-government program that opens the door to this concept of discussion. One skill is the disagree appropriately skill, but we also have meetings, multiple meetings, family meetings, as, in, as well as individual mentor meetings with the children where we discuss a lot. And then one of our other teaching styles is parent counseling sessions, which is again, more discussion time. And there's key ways to make those discussions valuable, but there's pre-teaching and as well as the praising and correcting and solving the really troubling behaviors. So a lot of it is training, teaching, and discussion, not just mandating compliance. And so I think mm-hmm. that's something that parents need to understand if we are going to truly do this teaching self-government program in a way that is going to lead to the most traditional strict principled type of parenting, we have to make sure that we are thinking in terms of thinking, higher level thinking skills and teaching and not just compliance. Yeah. And I think you have a really good point there because another one of our teaching styles is role-playing. That's another thing that we share a lot. Um, and this is something that, um, I was reading about in my psychology textbook is the importance of role-play. And I thought, oh, this is interesting, you know, cause they don't usually talk about parenting per se, um, except those, those styles, but, um, mentioning these, these things is really important. Yeah. So here is a quote from your book page about role play. It says when teachers explain model and have children role play, how to work together effectively cooperative learning among heterogeneous peers results in more complex reasoning, greater enjoyment of learning and achievement gains across a wide range of subjects. Yeah. So so it's talking about teachers, but you know, we like to focus on home life as well. When you role play, then your children are able to analyze much better what's going on and what they need to do in the future and in the moment. Yeah. That complex reasoning, super valuable stuff there. And it leads to, as they said in that quote, greater enjoyment of learning. If you can think through something and find a solution and see all of the options that you have, that means that you enjoy the problem solving more. The part of problem solving that people don't enjoy is when they have a problem and they have absolutely no idea how to solve it, where to start or anything. Then they're just overwhelmed that's not fun. Right. And that's when people shut down on their math lessons or when they're sitting at the piano, they're like, I don't know. And then they just shut down. 
But when a person knows how to solve the problem, when they've practiced solving the problems with another person, they've seen somebody else do it through modeling and then through role-playing, then boom, they can do it. So let's think of that with our children as we're trying to teach them those complex reasoning skills with their own behavior, their own relationships. We need to be modeling those and acting those out with our children through role-play. So Paige, we use role-play in a lot of different ways in the teaching self-government type of parenting. So what are some of those ways that we're using role play? So a lot of times we use role play to teach skills, such as teaching people um, for the first time, you know, how to follow instructions or what it looks like to accept a no answer. Oh, yes, that too. And um, just helping them understand, okay, this is what it looks like. And this is what it should look like in the future when we actually need to use this skill. It looks like Clara is really wanting to participate right now. She, Indeed. she <laughs> you are modeling talking into the microphone and she's like, Hey, I'll do it too. And I might even just whine just a little bit. Cause I don't know what's going on anyway, bless her little heart. So we do, we role play to teach someone a skill. Also after we do a correction and so, and we recognize somebody needed some help because a skill wasn't done correctly, or they didn't know how to problem solve something very well. Then we actually role play again, right ways to solve problems. Also, when we're in meetings, we're discussing something, we might role play something the right way. Also, when a person is learning how to problem solve, there's these extra exercises called sodas exercises. Sodas exercises are essentially mental role plays that a person goes through as they walk themselves through a scenario that could come up or that just happened. And they try to prepare to have a different outcome the next time. So really valuable ways that we can help with that complex reasoning, that critical thinking to help people to excel. And Paige, I've just got to read this last quote that you shared with me. I, I just felt like this was so great. Um, so it says, this is about child rearing styles. And again, about the, the authoritative parenting. It says authoritative parenting is linked to higher grades and achievement test scores among adolescents varying widely in SES, just as it predicts mastery oriented behavior in childhood. In contrast, authoritarian, permissive, and uninvolved styles of parenting are associated with poorer achievement and declines in academic performance over time. So authoritative or strict or assertive or traditional strict, you know, types <clears throat> type of parenting actually has great outcomes when it comes to academics. You're also going to see better outcomes in social development as well. So the impact is very large. So what are we going to see? Um, why are we going to see better outcomes with academics? And why are we going to see better outcomes with social? Paige, do you have thoughts for us there? I think the biggest thing is that parents are more involved. Yes. And um, that they're more willing to be an active participant in their child's lives. Sounds like Clara needs a little active participation right now, right? Anyway, um, let's talk a little bit about these things. So you're absolutely right. Parental involvement is huge. When the parents actually define boundaries for their children and they teach their children the why of the boundaries, which is huge. That's part of that critical thinking. And they discuss the why with their children. 
then this is going to help them in their academics because they're going to be able to discuss with teachers and professors about problems that they have. They're going to hopefully have more skill development there. They're also going to understand why they need to make changes in their academic performance and their tactics. They're going to be able to look outside of the box. So my parents were definitely why people, especially my dad, he was a communications guy talking to me all the time about the why of things and really training us developmentally. And to, to his credit, every single one of his children is very, um, good at reasoning, deductive reasoning, problem solving. There's not somebody who's just clueless. Who's just like, I don't know, goes with the flow. Like none of his children are like that not one. And it's because of his involvement. So socially, what does this do too? It improves our social relationships because we can take a more active role in the social interactions that we have with people and in creating those bonds and attachments. So this is huge. You're going to have better friendships. You're going to have more intact friendships. You're going to have better romance in life, all kinds of things. These, these outcomes coming from the type of reasoning that was presented to you as a child. So you're going to be able to solve your problems better as an adult when you learn how to do it as a child. I mean, at the end of the day, that's the main message that we're giving you. So when you're teaching children, some of these teaching self-government skills, like follow instructions, accepting no answers and criticism, accepting consequences, disagreeing appropriately, how to correct, whether you're self-correcting or correcting another, how to teach somebody something, how to be truly understanding and listen, how to discuss something in a meeting format, how to problem solve something by looking at all your options with sodas exercise, um, how to set your priorities and your standards live according to those things. I mean, these are just some of the pieces that are part of the teaching self-government training. And when you have those things in place, you are training your child to not just succeed in your relationship at your house and, and to get their chores done and to wake up on time, but you are also training them from a very young age to see the why of the world to understand how to discern what's going on around them and to be articulate and to discuss these things with other people. It truly is powerful. That is just another one of the hidden powers of training your children in a really authoritative and deliberate fashion. Don't you think Paige? I do. And so does Clara. <laughs> oh, Clara. Thank you. Very vocal this time. <laughs> She is very vocal and it's probably getting close to her nap time, which is why it's, she is getting vocal. We really pushed the limit on recording this one today, everybody, but Hey, real life, right? Real life with Nicolene and Paige and Clara. So all kinds of fun. If you would like to find out more about any of the teaching self-government methods or go into more depth and detail on any of the things that we've talked about today, be sure to go to teaching selfgovernment.com and refer refer this podcast to any of your friends who you think might also need additional help. We will talk to you again next time. Bye-bye. Bye. You've been listening to the Teaching Self-Government Podcast. For more information and resources to help unite your family, visit teachingselfgovernment.com.